Hi everybody, this is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Archive Show. This week we're pulling a Boomer Boulevard show out of our files. This one was first broadcast on the 23rd of October back in 2017. Hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. lined up, right, Chester? Everything's set. They're all cued. Okay. I, no, I'm, I'm not checking on you. I just want to make sure everything runs smooth. I, I, I do trust you. I just, okay, I'm checking on you. But you got them all ready, yeah? Hey, welcome, everybody. I didn't see you come in there. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is the podcast and show where we play old-time radio programs we actually remember from when we were kids because we're baby boomers. And most of these shows played in the very late 40s, but most of them in the 50s and some even in the early 60s. And these are shows we were familiar with. Now, some of them we might have seen on television. Like tonight, we've got A Life O'Reilly. I remember that one from television. Gunsmoke, of course, from television. But many of them we actually did here on the radio, or at least we listened in as our parents were listening. Chester is in charge tonight of the show lineup. Chester was, uh, we had a little meeting here, a staff meeting, and he advised me that he has been being ignored, that I have been ignoring him on the show. So tonight, everything is sort of in his court, and he has picked all of the programs we're going to listen to. And to be honest, he picked some good ones. We have a Lux Radio Theater of a really great Western story starring Jimmy Stewart. Then we're going to follow that up with a an episode of The Life of Riley, which we've never played here on Boomer Boulevard before, with William Bendix, and we'll be listening to that. And then we're going to follow up Everything with, as we always do, an episode of Gunsmoke. So it's a great lineup. Chester says they're all queued up and ready to go. So I recommend that you get yourself something cool to drink. Fluff up the pillows, pull the divan up, get your feet up, and relax. Because we're going to get started in just a moment.
Chester has chosen a Western to start things off this week. Uh-oh, I smell trouble. No, actually, it's a, it's a pretty good one. This uh, is a radio adaptation that was done on Lux Radio Theater of a 1950 film entitled uh, Winchester 73. Now, the film starred Jimmy Stewart, and he's in the radio adaptation tonight. Shelley Winters, who is not, she played Lola. Dan Durier played Waco Johnny. And Steve McNally, who you will hear tonight, played Dutch Henry. Uh, a couple other good actors were in it. John McIntyre was in it. Uh, will Gear played Wyatt Earp. Remember Will Gear, Grandpa Walton. J.C. Flippin, a very familiar uh, face in movies. And also Rock Hudson and Tony Curtis both had small roles in this film. They were both relatively unknown actors in 1950. I think this is only like Rock Hudson's second or third credit. And Tony Curtis maybe had four or five films before this, but all very small roles, some of them uncredited in, in 1949, and this was a 1950 film. So just sit back and enjoy this. This is Lux Radio Theater from November the, what did I say? Hang on, get my notes. November the 21st, 1951, Winchester 73. Lux presents Hollywood. Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Flakes, bring you the Lux Radio Theater, starring James Stewart, Stephen McNally, and Julia Adams in Winchester 73. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, we bring you the story of a rifle, the perfect one-in-a-thousand Winchester, known as the Winchester 73, so named because it was perfected in the year 1873. Now, just the story of a gun could be dreadfully dull. It is, after all, an inanimate object until it is taken up in unlawful hands and becomes a deadly weapon. Now, today we guard against the uncontrolled use of firearms. But in 1873, when we were intent on winning the West, a man's life often depended upon his ability to shoot, and therefore his gun was his most valuable possession. In tonight's suspenseful story, we have James Stewart and Stephen McNally in their original roles. And co-starring in this outdoor drama from the Universal International Studios is lovely Julia Adams. Now, Winchester 73, starring James Stewart as Lynn McAdam, Stephen McNally as Dutch, and Julia Adams as Lola. This is the story of the Winchester rifle, model 1873, the gun that won the West. To cowman, outlaw, peace officer, or soldier, the Winchester 73 was a most treasured possession. An Indian would sell his soul to own one. On July 4, 1876, such a rifle came to Dodge City, Kansas. It was placed on exhibition. Man, 
Well, man, look at it. A Winchester 73. What I'd give to have that rifle. One out of a thousand. First one I've ever seen. But, mister, that's a real gun. Heard it took over a year to make it. Yeah. I give the first one to President Grant. I'll sure be in good company when I win that one. Well, then we hit a lot of towns. What makes you think he'll be here? He'll be here. We've been wrong before. He'll be here. On account of what we just saw in the store window? If he isn't here already, that rifle will bring him. Come on, let's find a place to board our horses. The rifle wasn't for sale. They were going to stage a shooting contest, the rifle going to the winner. But I never got to see who won. All I got was an invitation to leave town. Come on now, Roller. Let go. Let me alone. Come on now. Let's not have any fuss. Now you just get aboard that stagecoach. I'm not going. You've got no right to treat me like this. You can come back. It's just till over the holiday. Why don't you pick on the gunslingers and the gamblers instead of a girl trying to make an honest living? And what about Steve? If he comes to town and finds I'm gone, he's liable never to catch up with me. Oh, please. Is there something I can do for you, ma'am? Huh? Oh. Stranger in town, mister? That's right, but I was talking to the lady. Now, don't you fret about it, Lola. Steve Miller comes along, I'll send him after. All right, Ben. Get that stage out of here. Well, thanks anyway, mister. Oh, Lola's all right, mister. It's just that some folks think the dance hall girls might give the place a bad name over the holiday. You and your friend planning to stay for the shooting match? We might. The Dodge House is about the best place in town. Might be full up, but I'll put in a word for you with Jake. Well, might as well drop off your guns. Let's have them drop off our guns now. Wait a minute. You, uh, you must have a real good reason to ask a man to do a darn fool thing like that. We don't allow anybody to wear guns in Dodge City. Hadn't you boys noticed? Who's we? Oh, uh, didn't I introduce myself? I keep forgetting to wear that piece of tin. Got it on me somewhere, see? Yeah. Hold on, gents. It's in one of these pockets. Uh, sure. Knew I had it somewhere. A man could get himself killed hiding his badge like that. U.S. Marshal, huh? That's right. Name of Earp. Wyatt Earp. Oh, Wyatt Earp. Oh. Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, give him your gun, High Spay. Yeah. yeah. Some more guns, Virgil. Put them with the others in my office. That's an awful lot of law for one little cow town. Well, this is the kind of a cow town that needs a lot of law. Now, if you boys want to sign up for the rifle shoot, just come along with me. Now, all you have to do is... What's the trouble, stranger? You see a ghost? That's him, Lynn, going into the saloon. Yeah. You were right then. Only why would he come here? I told you the rifle, the Winchester 73. I knew he'd come. You, uh... You know Dutch Henry? Who? That fellow who just went in the saloon. Dutch Henry Brown. I know him. What's your name? I'll need it to sign you up. All right, if I use my own. Some folks do. Lynn McAdam. My friend here is High Spade Frankie Wilson. High Spade with a hyphen. That's what I sit on when I get tired. Dutch Henry, a friend of yours? I wouldn't exactly call it that, no. Oh, personal matter, huh? I hope it can wait till you fellas leave town. Well, it's waited a long time, Mr. Earp. It can wait a little longer. That's good. That's fine. I'm planning on a nice, quiet 4th of July. Well, 
Well, that was the beginning. And an awful lot happened before it all ended. But now that I know the whole story, I guess I'm as good as anyone to tell it. Anyway, that afternoon, the whole town turned out for the shooting match. Wyatt Earp told him a little more about the prize they were shooting for. So it seems that uh, when the Winchester people are turning out these here rifles, every so often, maybe one gun out of 10,000 comes out just perfect. They've given it a name. They call it one of a thousand. President Grant owns one of these rifles. So does Buffalo Bill Cody. And today, one of you boys are going to walk out of here with the finest repeating rifle in the entire world. So take your positions on the firing line. This here shooting match is ready to begin. Half an hour later, there were just two men left in the contest. Lynn McAdam and Dutch Henry Brown. Even Wyatt Earp said he'd never seen shooting this fancy as he saw that afternoon. And when it was over, he handed the rifle to Lynn McAdam. You can take your rifle now, McAdam, or you can wait till morning. The boys would like to engrave your name here on the gun stock. Wow, that's real nice of them. I appreciate it. Wait a minute. Well, Dutch... I, uh, just thought I'd ask how much he'd take for it. It's not for sale. Ah, that's too bad. That's too much gun for a man to have just for shooting rabbits. Or for shooting men in the back. Why, yeah. Like I said before, a nice, quiet Fourth of July. You know, it looks like you and Dutch here might have learned to shoot from the same man. Yeah, he taught quite a few folks how to shoot. Only trouble was he taught them how. He didn't teach them what to shoot at. Maybe he figured a man should know that without having to be told. Yeah, that was his big mistake. He lived just long enough to find that out. It's all right with you, Mr. Rip. I'll pick up my gun at your office. You pulling out of town? That's right. Me, Wesley, and Wheeler. Get your gear before you go to the office, and the minute you pick up your guns, you leave town. Oh, sure, Marshal, sure. I, that's the law. I guess I won't have time for that engraving after all. Well, you're leaving too, huh? Get the horses high, Spade. I'll get the stuff out of the hotel. Just a minute. This personal business between you and Dutch Henry, I don't care what you do to each other once you leave town, but there'll be no gunfighting until you do. Is that understood? It's understood. Come on, Lynn, let's get started. You all right, Lynn? Yeah. Find out where he put his horse? Right next door is Wells Fargo Corral. But don't try anything here, not with her up around. You got to wait, Lynn. I can wait, I can wait. Dutch Henry wanted that Winchester 73 real bad. It wasn't hard getting it either. He and his two friends were waiting for Lynn when he walked in his hotel room. Five minutes later, Dutch was riding hard out of town and hanging from his saddle was the Winchester 73. I don't know about you, Dutch, but after two days, this saddle is pounding the back of my neck. And two more days before we reach Tascosa. You sure Waco know what he's talking about? Yeah, he better know. And that bank better be full of cash or Waco's gonna be full of holes. Anything else eating you boys? Yeah, our guns. They're still hanging on a wall back in Dodge City. Well, I got all I want right here. Oh, look over there. More Indian smoke. In back of us, too, toward that saddleback. Can you read it? I don't have to. Indian smoke means just one thing to me. Trouble. Hey, Dutch, you think McAdam has started after us yet? Ah, that's hard to say. <laughs> he took quite a beating. Quite a beating. 
What good's that 73 gonna do you without any shells? Oh, I'll get shells. Plenty of shells. In Tascosa? I thought I said you knew you were this country. Yeah, enough of it to know it's full of Indians. Ever hear of Rikers place? Rikers? Hey, he's got a trading post. Everything we need right now, Riker's got. Yeah, but how many miles away? If you'd shut your mouth and open your eyes, you wouldn't ask so many stupid questions. Wheeler, look. Yondo's cottonwoods. <laughs> you feel better now, Wheeler? That's Riker's place. Kind of lonely around here, ain't it, Riker? Just you and Mr. Lamont? Everybody else got scared out by engines, Dutch. And I don't mind saying I'm doing the same. As soon as I get my business done. And, uh, what might that be, Mr. Lamont? It's in plain sight, Mr. Brown. Over there on the counter. Guns, rifles, and ammunition. You ain't selling to Indians. I sell to anyone who pays my price. Looks like you and your friends might have been in Dodge City. Left in a hurry. That could be, yeah. No guns, eh? I guess wired up, still marshal. That's right. So we'll buy some of yours. Three six guns and some 44-40 shells from my Winchester. How much? $300. 300 Why, a six-gun costs $25 anywhere in the territory. My price is 300 Ah, just a thief, huh? We got $82. What'll it bring? Nothing. You, uh... You mind if I look at your Winchester, hmm? One of a thousand, huh? Yes, uh, that's a real fine rifle. I don't suppose you want to sell? I'm buying, not selling. Maybe so, but not for me. Your guns are for sale. Who else is going to buy them? Well, I'll be honest with you, Mr. Brown. I'm waiting for Young Bull to send his man here. What's uh, Young Bull doing this far north? I wouldn't know. But they all want repeating rifles since the little bighorn. Little bighorn? The Sioux jumped Custer, wiped them all out. Yes, sir. Getting to be mighty tough country to travel in without a gun. Well, uh, the young bull might not show up and you'd be stuck with all those guns. It could be, Mr. Brown. That's why I'm willing to give you $300 in gold for your Winchester. And you can take your pick of the six guns. Might even throw in 50 rounds of shells. I'm not treading. You're talking like a fool, Dutch. Give him the Winchester. I said no deal. Be smart. How far are we going to get our guns? Uh, all right. All right. You got a deal, Lamont. Thank you. Show him the guns, Mr. Racker. They can take the pick. This way, boys. Right over here. Winchester 73. Yes, sir. Like a jewel, you might say. And brand new, eh, Mr. Brown? Why, a man who owns a rifle... Set it down, Lamont. Then put up your hands. Well, we made a deal. Did we? I don't deal with Indian traders. So back up, Mr. Lamont. Put that gun in your belt, Dutch, or I'll kill you. (laughs) Shoot a man in the back, Riker? I wouldn't be the first. You ought to know. Uh, The gun's in my belt. You hadn't ought to have tried that, Dutch. You know I run a decent place. Mm, Help yourself to the bottle. One on the house before you leave. Who said I was leaving? You're leaving. Better give them the rest of the shells, Mr. Riker. They may need them. Later that night, Lamont left Riker's place. 
He got word that young Bull was ready to meet with him. Now, there's no point getting angry, young Bull. I admit the rifles aren't Winchesters, but everyone's a repeater, and they'll all shoot true. You lie. Rifles you bring are old, worn out. They are not the guns of which we spoke. If you want my gold, bring me the guns with which Crazy Horse and the Sioux made their war little bighorn. And you know about Custer, huh? That is the gun I want. The one on your saddle. Well, there isn't enough money in your whole tribe to buy that rifle. That is the gun I want. Hola! Marcula! When the Indians rode away, the Winchester 73 had another new owner. Young Bull. That same night, two more riders were heading toward Riker's place. Lynn McAdam and High Spade. Oh, why don't you admit it, Lynn? You're about ready to fall out of that saddle. Why don't we rest up for a while? No, I'm not that tired. A few hours more or less ain't gonna make any difference. We've been chasing him since I can't remember. That's right, that's right. We've never been this close before. We'll keep going till we hit Riker's place. Dutch said he was pushing on into Tascosa, huh? You say anything else, Riker? Well, uh, I didn't hear much. Something about meeting up with Waco Johnny Dean. Uh-huh. All right, thanks a lot, Riker. You've been real friendly. Come on, High Spade, let's move along. Oh, you mean you're going to get up and ride away from all this comfort? All right, now, how long have we been trailing, Dutch? How many months? I know, I know. We've never been so close before. That's what you said on the way to Dodge City. Keep your eyes open along the ridge. Plenty engines these days. Thanks, Riker. Well, we'll be seeing you. Well, the way things worked out, we were all on the same trail. I guess you remember how Wyatt Earp had invited me out of Dodge City by stagecoach. In a way, I was glad he had, because I'd met up with Steve, the fellow I was waiting for, at the first stop. Steve hired a buckboard, hitched his horse in back, and we started on our way. And if I'd have been there, Wyatt Earp or no Wyatt Earp, he wouldn't have run you out of town. Oh, it don't matter now, as long as you found me. Tell me about the ranch, Steve. It's real pretty, huh? Yeah. Yeah, it's the old Jameson place, 40 miles out of Tascosa. And we can move right in and start living there. Well, you can. But what about you? Well, I, uh, I gotta meet some friends of mine, Lola. Only take me a day or two, it's... Well, it's a deal. Oh, please, Steve, please. No more deals. That's why I worked in Dodge City. That's why I got the money. That's so just we could... what I mean. You got the money. Well, now I gotta get some. But... Steve! Indians! Can we outrun them? I don't know. Give me that whip. Come on, get up, boy! Get up! Go! Go! We had fresh horses and a good start, but we wouldn't stand a chance. It was then that I... I learned a little more about Steve. Whoa! Whoa, whoa! Steve, what are you trying to do? Saddle horse. I'll ride ahead and find help. What about me? Oh, oh, don't leave me, Steve. Please, please. I'll get help. I'll come back as soon as I can. Steve did come back. He did find help. It was the wildest kind of luck. A camp of soldiers, cavalry patrol. 
But then I found out our luck wasn't so good after all. I heard the sergeant talking to Steve. I, uh, I don't understand. Indians know you're camped here? It was like driving you and the lady into a corral. Yeah, they've had us pinned down here since yesterday. I got a dozen men is all. They're on all sides of us. Maybe, maybe you better tell the lady. No one went to sleep that night. We just kept close to the fire, waited. Not knowing that the Indians were driving two more white men into the trap. You hear what I hear, Lynn? Yeah, I hear him. I told you night riding wasn't smart. Yeah, I guess you did. Now we're smack in the middle of them. Yeah, I guess you're right again. Being right ain't gonna do as much good. What'll we do now? We keep riding. The Indians all around us? Well, maybe you'd feel better if we stopped. Mm, no. No, no. Well, we'll just keep on riding. Look at my hair. It was such pretty hair. I had it ever since I was a kid. A little thin on top, but I'd sure like to keep it. Yeah, yeah. I kind of think maybe... Look. Look over there. Campfire. Come on, come on. Wrong way, Lynn. We're heading right into their camp. That's no Indian fire. It's too big. Come on, pour it on. Stop that fool shooting, we're friends. Don't shoot, we're right in. Hold your fire, they're white men. Hold your fire. Well, thanks for leaving the door open. Say, uh, my name's McAdam. It's High Spade here. We sure can use two more men. My name's Wilkes. This is Steve Miller. He and his lady come a calling on us a little earlier. You got a woman here? They jumped us on a ridge, too. Oh, well, well, hello again. Hello. You know him, Lola? He's the fellow I told you about, the one who stood up to Wyatt Earp for me. Well, to tell the truth, I didn't know it was Wyatt Earp. I hate to bust this up, but we make a wonderful target standing in front of the fire. Keep your eyes open, boys. They'll be trying to rush us any minute now. You from Fort Baskin, Sergeant? That's where we're headed, replacements. Oh, oh, you're new on the territory, huh? Yep. Pennsylvania Ninth. Picked up our mounts at Fort Smith. We've been riding ever since. Pennsylvania Ninth. Well, say, you, you fellows were at Gettysburg, weren't you? Yeah. Left a rib there. One of them Johnny Ribs hung me up on a bayonet. It's a real group of fighting men. Never knew when they was licked. Gave us a real bad time at Shiloh and Bull Run. Uh-huh. Say, uh... Say, about these Indians, it seems like they hardly ever attack at night. Why not? Well, they figure if they're killed in the dark, the great spirit can't find their souls to whip them up to heaven or something. I, I don't know. I, I, uh, I don't mean to be forward, Sergeant, but if you've never fought them before... Keep talking. I, you ain't forward. Well, it, it might be a good idea to have your men catch up on some sleep. They're going to be real busy tomorrow morning. Mm. You men, turn in. Get some sleep. Coates, Murphy, sentry duty. Call your relief in four hours. A little later, Lynn walked over to me. He brought his saddle and a blanket. No feather bed, miss, but uh, I think you'll find it a little more comfortable. Thanks. Steve Miller just told me you're heading out to a ranch, is that right? Yeah, yeah, my very first own home. I, I guess you wouldn't know, but it, it means an awful lot to me. I know. You got a home like that? I, I did once, sort of. 
with your wife? No, no, I haven't got a wife. I was with my father. Uh, is that where you're bound now, to your home? No. No, my father was killed. I hear those birds? Kind of pretty, aren't they? Sometimes they sing all night, you know that? They're not birds. I know what they are. You afraid of tomorrow? Would it do any good for me to lie to you? No. I'm afraid. I guess everybody gets afraid sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Good night, Lola. Good night, Lynn. Starting to get light, McAdam. How soon, do you figure? Any time now, I guess. You know, Sergeant, I was talking to a fellow named Riker. He was telling me how crazy Horse and the Sioux wiped out Custer. They're real smart fighters. It seems they knew all about your Springfield rifles being single shot. You mean they had repeaters? That's right, that's right. They sent their first wave in light so they'd draw the fire, and then they sent... They sent in a, a second wave heavy before Custer's men had a time to reload. You figure this bunch will try the same thing? Huh? I kind of think maybe they will. Kind of think they will. Only this time, maybe we just might outfox them on account of high spade and I got Winchesters. Hold your fire for the second wave. Well, it's up to you. It's up to you, Sergeant, whatever you say. Hold it, then. Yeah. That sounds like they're getting ready. Yeah. Route out, you men. Get to your places. Take them as they come. Any place special you want me to stay? Yeah, yeah. Right under the wagon here. Well, thanks for the saddle. It was real comfortable. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, take this six-shooter, just in case you... Uh... I know how to use it. And the last bullet, I, I understand about that, too. They're going to be rushing us in about three more hoops. What do you pick for your spot? Well, they're going to come in under the sun. Let's... Get up to the other end of the wagon here. Here they come. Come on. All right, boys. Let them have it. our camp a dozen times that morning, but it was Lynn and High Spade with their Winchester repeaters who finally drove them off. When it was all over, they seemed in a big hurry to leave. Well, not much more I can say to you boys, but thanks and good luck. Uh, just one other thing, Sergeant. Out here we play winner take all. Indians left an awful lot of dead out there. No sense leaving those rifles out there to rust. Well, say, I never thought of that. Hey, uh, Coates. Go out there and pick up them fast-shooting guns. Anything else you happen to like? <laughs> yeah, you're a man after my stamp. Wish we'd had you with us at Bull Run. Might not have run so fast. Well, I want to tell you something. I was with you at Bull Run. So was High Spade. Only we were on the other side. You mean you were... That's right. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll be done. <laughs> I'll be done. So long, Sarge. See you again. Oh, Len, wait before you go. Oh, oh, hello. Oh, this six-shooter, it belongs to you. Yeah, yeah, thanks. The last bullet is still there. Yeah, so it is. May I have it? You just never know when a girl might need a bullet. Sure, help yourself. Still bound for Tascosa, huh? That's right. Whatever you're after, I hope you get. You too, High Spade. Thanks. Good luck, boys. Good luck, fellas. All right, let's get moving. Hey, Sarge! Sarge! Look at this. Look what I found out there. Man, is that a rifle? Who had it, Coates? Their chief, I guess. I saw that Lynn fella drop him. Real pretty shot. Let me see that rifle. I say, it is brand new. And look, look what it says on it. Dodge City rifle shoot won by... Huh. Don't say who won it. Do I get to keep it, Sarge? No, some officer take it away from you at Fort Baskin. And it's too good for an officer. Hey, Lynn! Lynn! It's too late, Sarge. He's gone. Well, there's someone else to be proud to have this. Steve? What's that you got? One of you fellas ought to have it. Why, that's a... That's a 73. A Winchester 73. It's yours. You earned it, too. Once again, Steve and I were on our way to the ranch. The Winchester 73 lying between his feet on the floor of the buckboard. We got there late that afternoon. The Over there's a the house, honey. You, uh, you like it? Yeah, it sure looks nice, Steve. Yeah, that uh, garden you were talking about, we could plant it right over there. Or, uh... Maybe you wouldn't want a garden. I don't know. Place will look even better after the rains. Gets all green around here and there's water in the runs. Steve, when did you say the Jamesons would be moving out? Almost any time now, a week maybe. Just right to help give you the feel of the place. Come on, honey, let's go in and meet. I should have been happy, but I wasn't. All I could think of was Steve and, and how he'd left me the day before while he rode off for help. In a few days, this was a man I'd be married. Is something wrong, miss? Oh, I wouldn't be surprised after what you've been through. Oh, oh I'm all right, Mrs. Jameson, and, and thanks for supper. It tasted real good. I thought my husband would be back from town by now. Well, I'd better get the kids off to bed, if you'll excuse me. Yeah, yeah, sure. Lola, as soon as she comes back, I guess I'll be going to town. Now, tonight? I told you, I gotta meet somebody. Waco Johnny Dean. I heard all about him, Steve. He's no good. Lola, what's wrong? I... I don't know. It's... It's on account of what I did back there. You think I ran away? I... I'm not sure. I won't lie to you. I went yellow. Crazy yellow. But I came back for you. You know I came back for you. Steve. Look, I'd, I'd give my eyes if it hadn't happened. Someday I'll prove that to you, Lola. You gotta believe me. Steve! They're coming this way. Listen. Hey, Latigo, look who's here. How you doing, Steve? Fire out the window, boys. Keep them off. All right. Well, <laughs> hello. You live here? She's with me, Waco. Name's Lola Manners. I, uh, I told you about her. Yeah, that's right. 
Only you didn't tell me how pretty she was. Steve, what's this all about? Ha-ha! <laughs> all home week in Texas, huh? We're right at a town real peaceful like and who's waiting for us but the U.S. Marshal and a flock of deputies. <laughs> Haven't had so much enjoyment all year. <laughs> you got no right to come in here. You got any coffee, lady? Get out. Get out of this house. Waco, can you hear me? That is Noonan, Waco. See what he wants. Keep talking, Noonan. There's a woman and two children in there. Send them out the front door. We'll hold our fire. Then what? Shut up, brother. Go. I'll do the talking. Then you can come out. You'll get a fair trial, Waco. Come in and get us, Noonan. Now, where's that coffee? Why don't you let the woman out of here and those kids? What do you want to do? Stand behind them when Noonan comes in after you? I want to remember it so I can tell my friends about Waco Johnny Dean, another brave man. Uh, this is quite a girl, Steve. Quite a girl. They're coming out, Noonan. Lady, take your kids and go out the front door. Oh, thank you, miss. Thank you. Go on, Lola. Go with them. No. No, she's staying put. You wanted to see this, honey. You wanted to tell your friends. Waco, take it easy. She didn't mean... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That rifle, Steve... Where'd you get that rifle? It, it was given to me. Yeah. Yeah. How much, Steve? Name a price. Make it big. I'm not selling. This is me you're talking to, Waco. I said I'm not selling. All right, Steve. Have it your own way. Tell your gal to bring in the coffee. Lola, no, you stay where you are. Waco, you're crazy. We can't stay here. I better do what he says, Steve. The coffee. No. No, let, uh, let him get it. You don't mind, do you, Steve? No. No, I, I don't mind. Send out that other woman, Waco. Send her out right now. She don't want to leave. She likes it here. Sit down, honey. We got lots of time. You known him long, Steve? Long enough. And you're a lot of woman. Hey, Waco. They are bunching up around the barn out there. Let him. Hey, where's that coffee? I'm getting it. Well, bring it and put on an apron. You'll look better. What are you trying to prove? Nothing, nothing. Just trying to buy a rifle. You're still sure you don't want to sell, kitchen boy? Steve, let him have it. Don't you see what he's trying to do? He's the just... The coffee. Come on, let's have it. Steve, look out. <laughs> well, I guess you must have tripped, huh, Steve? <laughs> uh, clean it up. No. I said clean it up. I said no. Michael! Just poor old Steve. He wouldn't clean up the mess. Steve! I tried, Lola. I... I tried. Waco, they're going to burn us off. we got a wagon full of hay. They're going to run it into the house. Then I guess it's about time to go, boys. And walk right into their guns. Maybe you'd rather fry. Go on, start running. I'll cover you. <laughs> suppose I fainted. I don't remember. All I know is I found myself in the buckboard again. Waco was next to me. Hang on, honey. Hang on. We'll be in Tescoso in the morning. You dirty murdering. I sure was mean to poor old Steve. His rifle, gal, and his buckboard. Ha <laughs> ha. Yes, sir. It's been quite an evening. Please let me go. Please. Out here in the middle of nothing? Well, honey, you might get hurt out here. Besides... Besides, I'm beholden to you. With you in my arms, Noonan's boys didn't dare shoot. And you'll like Tescosa, Lola. You'll like Tescosa fine. Tescosa? 
Then I remembered that someone else was riding for Tascosa. Lynn. Lynn McAdam. Oh, maybe we'd meet again sooner than either of us ever thought. Hey, Lynn. What time you figure we'll hit Tascosa? Well, not till two, three tomorrow. We got a couple of tired horses here. You ever wonder about your pa? I mean, what he'd think about you hunting down Dutch Henry? He'd understand. He taught me to hunt. Not men. Hunting a man to kill him, you're beginning to like it. That's just where you're wrong. I don't like it. There's some things a man has to do so he doesn't. What happens when the hunt's over? Then what? When it's over? Well, I hadn't given it much thought. I don't know, maybe we could get the ranch back together again, round up the strays, and then we could... I don't know. I... Hadn't given it much thought. Well, now might be a pretty good time on account of we're coming pretty close to where things are going to end. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. But I... You've been real fine people, High Spade, riding along with me. Well, that's what a friend's for, isn't it? At least ways, that's the way you bowl, we said it. Yeah, he did, didn't he? He said if a man had one friend, he was rich. I'm rich. What about that girl? That fella Steve's girl, she mean anything to you? Well, how could she mean anything? She's gonna marry him, isn't she? Yeah. Just wondering, that's all. Just, just making conversation. By daylight, we were in the desert. Tascosa was somewhere still ahead of us. But uh, Waco had other plans. He took a trail leading up into the mountains. Far off, I could see a cabin. It's him, Dutch. He's coming. Waco Johnny. Look at him. He's got a woman with him. Yeah, maybe that's what kept him. As if I didn't know. Sometimes I think Waco's a little on the crazy side. Yeah, so do I. But I think quiet. Go on down there and bring him up. Hi, Dutch. Hi, boys. Hi. Oh, well, pardon me. This is Lola. She's crazy about me. Just a minute, Waco. That rifle. I thought I'd take Lola along into Tascosa. I don't care where you take her, but where did you get my rifle? Your rifle. Why, this is a Winchester 73 Dutch. A gift from a very dear friend. It's my rifle, and I want it. And if you don't get it? Do you want in on this Tascosa deal? I've come a long ways to get here, Dutch. Then I'll say it again. That's my rifle. <laughs> well, as long as you feel that way about it. Yeah, yeah, take it. Yeah. <laughs> now, where's uh, Tom and Dundee? Didn't they show? They're inside, sleeping. Rode in late last night. Where's uh, Latigo and the others? Oh, seems they got themselves all shot up. Oh? How come? It's a long story, with tears. Come on, let's get in the cabin. I'll tell you over a drink. So you take the girl and come up here, huh? Any objections? No, no objections. You, uh, haven't I seen you somewhere? I've been somewhere. In Dodge City, a dance hall. Playing a piano and singing. Singing and playing the piano? You? Roll one out and I'll sing you a tune. <laughs> I'll take you up on that as soon as we get to Tascosa. Which uh, happens when, Dutch? This afternoon. And here's the setup. 
First, John, Turk, and I ride down to Trigillo. When we get there, we... You. Take a walk, sister. Oh, let her alone, Dutch. She's luck. I said take a walk. <sighs> he don't like you. Well, don't tell him now, but I don't like him. Get smart, and I'll teach you some manners. Look, Waco. This time tomorrow, you and her can play patty cake all you want. But when I'm lining up a deal, I don't want any dance hall woman listening in. The man wants you to walk, honey. Well, nice cabin you got here, Dutch. How'd you like to rent it out for honeymoon? For the last time. You in on this deal or not? Oh, sorry. All Keep right. talking. We pick up the stage at Trigillo. There's two men riding shotgun, guarding the gold. They ride it right into Tascosa, to the bank. Where'll I be? With Dundine and Tom. Now, right across from the bank, there's a saloon. Tom will leave the horses in front. You'll be at the bar, and you'll see the stage when it pulls in. I'll be at the piano. Lola's going to sing for me, ain't you, honey? I know. Take a walk. What else do you know? Nothing. So I'm in the saloon. What then? They carry the gold into the bank. I follow them. And if there's trouble, I cover you from the saloon. That's all there is to it. You better get started now. It'll take you about... You! What are you looking at? Just a picture on the shelf. This one's you, huh? What's that in your hand? It's a bullet. Ah, you help yourself to that, too? It was given to me by your friend in the picture. You, uh... You know him? I know him. Well, and we've got something in common. He's been trying to give me one of those for a long time. Come on, Wheeler, let's have a look at the horses. <laughs> Poor old Dutch. Business. All the time, business. You're a strange person. Am I? That rifle he's carrying. That's no rifle, honey. That's a Winchester 73. There's nothing like it in the world. First you kill a man to get it. Then you just give it away. Don't you worry. I'll get it back from old Dutch the same way I got it from old Steve. Now, come on, get yourself ready. We're going into Tascosa. Curtain rises on Act Three of Winchester 73, starring James Stewart as Lynn McAdam, Stephen McNally as Dutch, and Julia Adams as Lola. I didn't have much choice. I went with Waco into Tascosa to a saloon across from a bank. He said he wanted to hear me sing. The place was empty except for the bartender. Blue sky up above me, the green grass on the ground. I've been looking for something I have never found. And it looks like I'm never gonna see. My one 
That's all right. On the level, weren't you? Get away from me. We're in town now, Waco. This is where we say goodbye. Why? Why? What, what for? Oh, that business with Steve? Ah, he wasn't for you. I did your favor. Maybe someday I can do the same for you. Did you love him? I guess I did. You know, you two had a lot in common. Yeah, a lot of women. I wasn't trying to be funny. When you talk like that, you are. Or didn't you know he was yelling? I knew. <laughs> you killed me. You want a drink? No. You mind if I go over and get one? I don't mind. You, barkeep. That clock right, five after three? A little fast, I think. Stage is due at three, and it's always on time. Uh, whiskey. Yes, sir. I sat there watching him, wondering when I could make my break. That there were two of his men on the porch, and there'd be more as soon as the stage... But then the door swung open, and walking in were Lynn McAdam and Heisbeck. Well, well, hello again. Well, hello, nice people. Sooner than you figured, us huh? Seeing us again? What are you doing here? Me? Oh, oh, just entertaining. Where's Steve? Drinking whiskey in the back room? Steve's dead. He's dead? Awful sudden, wasn't it? Very. He was killed by that... That gentleman standing at the bar, the one who's looking at us. Uh, don't seem right for people to go around killing He's nice not folks. people. He's Waco Johnny Dean. Lynn, didn't Riker tell us the Dutch was riding to meet To meet Waco Johnny Dean, yeah. You haven't got a chance. Don't quarrel with him. I got no quarrel with him. Watch him, Lynn. Watch him. Excuse me. Yeah? I've been riding to meet up with a man named Dutch Henry Brown. I was hoping to run into him here in Tascosa. Wouldn't happen to know him, would you? I might. How long do you know him? I know him long enough to tell you where he got that little scar above his right eye. I gave it to him when he was ten. Now you want to give him another? Where is he? Hey, Waco, the stage is coming. Be right out. Suppose, uh, suppose I don't tell you. Then what? Where is he? Where is he? Hang on to him, Lynn. I'll get his... Where is he? I'll, I'll take you to him. When? Now. All right, start walking. Come on. No. Those men out there, they're with him. Dundee, top! It all happened just as the stage pulled up outside, but the driver heard the shots and kept going. I saw Dutch Henry jump out. Lynn saw him, too. He started after him. There were more shots, only I... I didn't duck fast enough. Lola! Lola, where are you hit? My arm, my arm. Oh, you little fool. I got Waco, but Dutch got away. He won't get far. Take care of her, High Spade. No, no, don't let him go. I couldn't stop him if I wanted to. You don't understand. Dutch Henry's a murderer. He's I know. A... So does Lynn. It was Dutch Henry who killed his father. So it's right for him to go. Doubly right, because Dutch Henry is Lynn's brother. His brother? Now, come on. Let's see if we can find a doctor. <laughs> Dutch Henry had ridden off toward the hills. In the scabbard of his saddle was the Winchester 73. Somewhere in those hills, a score would be settled once and for all. Come on up, Lynn. Come on up and get me. You're caught below another man's gun. 
The old man taught you better than that. I guess I forgot, Matthew. You don't mind my calling you Matthew, I hope. I like it better than Dutch Henry Brown. Come on out and show yourself. Matthew McAdams. Has a good sound to it. I guess that's why the old man gave it to you. Ah, oh, you got yourself in trouble again. I can smoke you out of those rocks easy. First chance I had to thank you for winning me my rifle. Shoots real pretty, wouldn't you say? I never got a chance to use that gun, Matthew. But I intend to. Now there's something you forgot, too. The old man told you never to waste lead. Now you're short. Not that short. Load up fast, Matthew. I'm coming up. Well, that's the way it was, Lola. The old man sired two sons. One was no good. Never was any good. Robbed a bank. Stagecoach. Then when he came home and wanted to hide out, the old man wouldn't go for it. So Dutch shot him in the back. He'll be waiting for Lynn. He'll kill Lynn, too. Maybe. Maybe not. Well, Doc, this lady gonna be all right? She'll have to wear that armless sling for a while, and she'll be fine. Uh, now, miss, if you don't mind it, see who that is, will you? Tell him I'm busy. Sorry, Doc's busy. Anything I can... Well, who is it? Who's out there? It's a man with a rifle, Doc. A Winchester 73. What the devil are you... Lynn! I'm sorry I ran out on you before. Something that started a long time ago had to be finished. Well? Well, it's finished. Nothing to do now, then, but go back home, huh? That's right. Say, uh, Doc, is this girl fit for traveling? You crazy? This girl's just uh, been... I mean, uh, not even as far as a Parsons? Oh, well, that's something else again. Doesn't anybody ask me anything? Hmm? Oh. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, Lola? Uh, Lola? Oh, yes, Lynn, I will. I will. That's the most wonderful proposal I ever had. I thought it was pretty good myself. <laughs> Now, here's Mr. Keeley with our stars. And here they are coming forward for a well-earned curtain call. James Stewart, Stephen McNally, and Julia Adams. <laughs> Welcome to the Lux Radio Theater, Julia. Thank you, Mr. Keeley. I'm delighted to be here. You know, Bill, Julia was starred in her first picture, and here she is starring in her first appearance on the Lux Theater. Yeah, well, uh, Julia believes in starting at the top and working her way up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have to go some to catch up with you, Jimmy. You've appeared on this stage ten times already. Now, why don't you take a tip from Steve? Tonight, he's making his second appearance of the season. Yeah, at this rate, he'll pass me by next April. Oh, no, I, I haven't got room in my house for all that soap. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, uh, Julia's doing okay. Uh, 
Isn't she co-starring with you in your latest Universal International Technicolor picture? That's right, The Bend of the River. It's the story of people who braved the Northwest frontier back when it was called the Oregon Territory. I play the part of a pioneer guide. And Julia plays your sweetheart? Yes, Mr. Keeley. But I don't see how any girl got her man in those days. After bouncing around a covered wagon, I was anything but a glamour girl, and I ate dust by the ton. Well, don't forget that women were scarce in those days, Julia. <laughs> <laughs> At least uh, on wagon trains. Oh. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Good night, Good night and hurry back. Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Flakes, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday evening when the Lux Radio Theater presents Hedy Lamar and Victor Mature in Samson and Delilah. This is William Keeley saying goodnight to you from Hollywood. Stephen McNally appeared through the courtesy of 20th Century Fox, whose latest release is Golden Girl, starring Mitzi Gaynor, Dale Robertson, and Dennis Day. Julia Adams appeared through the courtesy of Universal International Pictures, now releasing The Lady Pays Off, co-starring Linda Darnell and Stephen McNally. Heard in our cast tonight were Dan Riss as High Spade, Herbert Butterfield as Wyatt Earp, Wally Mayer as Waco, Tim Graham as Wilkes, Stephen Dunn as Steve, Bill Johnstone as Lamont, and Bill Conrad, Bob Griffin, Charlie Lung, Jack Mather, Joe Duval, James Best, June Whitley, Brad Brown, and Eddie Marr. The motion picture, Winchester 73, was based on a story by Stuart N. Lake. Our play was adapted by S.H. Barnett, and our music was directed by Rudy Schrager. This is your announcer, John Milton Kennedy. This is the CBS Radio Network. From November the 21st, 1951, that was Winchester 73, starring Jimmy Stewart, is heard on Lux Radio Theater. Pretty good, pretty good presentation. I remember seeing that movie when I was a kid. Now, I was too young to see it in 1950 uh, when it first came out, but it must have been that Mr. Francis, the manager of the Crest Theater there in Long Beach, California, used to do uh, Saturday matinees for the kids, kiddie shows, they used to call them, every Saturday, and he'd play a movie, and then he would play uh, like 15 cartoons or 18 cartoons, something like that. The last one, he would always play upside down and backwards. Oh, we love that as kids. And then they used to have a birthday cake. They used to do crazy races. Remember crazy races? These were like these old Max Sennett type comedies where these people would all be in a race and there was 10 of them. And it, sometimes it would be an automobile race. Sometimes it would be a foot race. But they just did these wild, wacky things like the Keystone Cops did. And at the end, they announced a winner. And it was either number one through 10. And you actually took your theater ticket and whatever the last digit was, if it was a zero, that meant 10. If it was one through nine, you actually won a prize. And you got to come up on the stage and, and get the prize. Anyway, that I don't know how I got off on that track. But I, I think one time he must have shown Winchester 73 for the kiddie show. But I know I saw it. And I saw it at the movies. I've also seen it on television over the years. But... Uh, Pretty good production, and of course, everybody always loves Jimmy Stewart. Something familiar. Something familiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing. Something appalling. 
something for everyone of comedy tonight. Nothing with kings, nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, comedy tonight. <laughs> Coming up on our Comedy Corner this week, Chester said that we have been playing too many of the same shows and he wanted something different. And he remembers seeing Life O'Reilly on TV when he was a kid. Isn't that right, Chester? Who? The girl that played Babs on TV? Yeah, Lugene Sanders was her name. Oh, me too. <laughs> yeah. I remember having, yeah, me too. I remember having a tremendous crush on her. Something about her voice and the way she would say, oh, daddy. Yeah, I remember that. Well, anyway, she, she's not in the radio show, as, as you well know. Life O'Reilly, I remember watching on Friday nights when I was a kid. I'd go over to my grandparents' house and watch uh, some shows with my granddad. He always liked Life O'Reilly, and we'd watch it. And it was funny as a kid. Now, one of the reasons I haven't played it before, or at least on the show, is the comedy is not nearly as sophisticated as some of the shows we play, like Jack Benny and even our Miss Brooks and Halls of Ivy and some of the others. But nonetheless, it's this is Boomer Boulevard, and we want to uh, try to remember some of those uh, sitcoms that we were really fans of when, when we were younger. And Life O'Reilly certainly fits that category. So what we have tonight is an episode that was uh, first broadcast on NBC back on the 3rd of December in 1948, and it's entitled Impressing the Boss. And you might just recall that uh, Chester A. Riley lives in Los Angeles. He works at an aircraft factory. I believe at least he did on television. Anyway, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, on the other side. So here we go from 1948, The Life of Riley with William Bendix, Impressing the Boss. brings you the life of Riley. Prell, the shampoo that removes unsightly dandruff in as little as three minutes, presents the life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. Every father strives to bring his son up to be 100% American, but not Chester A. Riley. Riley strives to make his son a 200% American. So now we find Junior Riley on a pleasant Sunday afternoon being lectured on one of the fundamental principles of the American way of life, as Riley sees it, namely that the man who gets ahead does so on his own merit. I'm shocked, Junior. I'm absolutely shocked. But, Pa, I never I... thought my own son would act like that. But, Pa, Is this the I... way I brought you up? No, Pa. Now you're going to do a thing like this. I'm sore, Junior. I'm really sore. I'm burning up. I'm, I'm, I'm speechless. But Pa, I don't want to hear your excuses. Oh, you're home, Riley. Where were you all afternoon? Never mind where I was, Peg. Ask your son where he was. I tell you, I'm so burned up. I'm speechless. Yes, I know. I could hear you being speechless two blocks away. <laughs> where do you hear this, Peg? And you always said that Junior is the kind of a kid I was when I was a boy. Well, where do you think he was this afternoon? Junior, you went to the burlesque show. <laughs> oh, no, Mom. I was over at my math teacher's house. Oh, 
Well, what's so terrible about that, Riley? He was raking her leaves and ask him why. Well, I still don't see the harm. I haven't been doing so well in math, and she lives over in the next block, so I figured if I could rake leaves for her, I'd stand a better chance of getting a good mark. Bribery. Out and out bribery. Here I raise a boy, and I have hopes that someday he'll turn out to be a banker or, or a doctor or an engineer. And what do I get? A politician. <laughs> now, wait, Riley, it isn't that bad. Just because he raked the teacher's leaves. You don't understand, Peg. It ain't the teacher's leaves. It's the principal. <laughs> For years, I've been telling him the only way to get ahead is to do it under your own steam. Merit, that's what counts. Not bribery, not pull or influence. Merit, that's all I care about. The principal. Well, your father's right, Junior. Besides, why couldn't he rake our leaves? <laughs> that's not the point. What your father said before is true. That's not the way to get ahead in the world. Well, it's one way. But it's not the American way. Can you imagine me doing a thing like that? Well, uh, uh, no, Pop. <laughs> of course not. Look at my career at Stevenson Aircraft. Look at the way I started out there ten years ago as an ordinary riveter. But I worked hard. I didn't use no pull. I didn't think up angles because I knew that ability is the only thing that counts. And today, only 10 years later, look where I... Look where I, Look at Henry Ford. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but gee, Papa can't do any harm to have a little pull. Don't mean a thing. Not in the long run. Work. That's the secret of success. Work. That's what made this country great. We took it when it was nothing but a wilderness, and we worked and worked until we made it the richest country in the world. But why are you one of the poorest men in it? Because <laughs> I haven't got any pull. I mean... Uh, uh, go to your room, Junior. Okay, Pop. And work on your mathematics. That's the way you'll get ahead. Okay, Pop. I'm sorry I yelled, Peg, but that kid's got to learn. You're right, dear. For once. Like I said to Gillis only this afternoon. Gillis, I said... Where were you this afternoon? Over at my boss's house fixing his roof. <laughs> well, that's good. We can use the extra money. You bet we can. Too bad we ain't getting any. <laughs> You're not. Oh, no. I'm just doing him a favor. You see... There's an opening for a foreman's job at the plant, so I figured Chester that... Chester Riley, after the speech you just made to Junior, you have the nerve to stand there and tell me that you deliberately went to your boss's house to fix the roof just so you could get in good with him? How could you? It was easy. <laughs> oh, I can't understand you, Riley. Well, let me explain, Peg. The boss happened to drop this remark about a leak in his roof, so Gillis offered to work on it. And being Gillis is my best friend, I offered to help him. Not that I care about the foreman's job. I just don't want Gillis to get it. You, <laughs> you see? You bet I see. Bootlicking, that's what it is. And what's more, the roof of this house has been leaking for six months. Why don't you fix that? What for? The boss don't live here. <laughs> oh, aren't you ashamed of yourself? Don't you feel like a hypocrite after that big lecture you gave Junior? Don't use pull. Don't use influence. Work. Depend on your ability. Well, my case is different. Why is it different? Well, uh, why, uh, 
I ain't got no ability. <laughs> uh, thought you had me trapped, huh? <laughs> Oh, hi, Gillis. What's the matter, pal? Did you get out of the wrong side of the bed this well, morning? I had an argument with Peg last night. You know what she said to me? How should I know? I ain't the type of person who goes snooping around at night, eavesdropping on his next-door neighbor. Well, she bawled me out for fixing the boss's roof with you. Boy, I told her off plenty. You were right. After all, you ain't got no ability. <laughs> Gillis, you heard. Uh, accidental. I was out walking my dog and his leash got caught on your front doorknob. But believe me, pal, when I heard her rip into you, it sure burned me up. I was so mad, I... 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 I know, you were speechless. Yeah. But sometimes, Gillis, I wish you were earless, too. You know, Riley, that wife of yours sure has got a lot of nerve making cracks about us helping out on our boss's roof. Well, sure. After all, we got to think of our future. Sure, we want to get ahead. We got families to think of. Yeah, we're doing it for our family. Let them call us hypocrites. Let them say we're bootlickers and toadies and boss lovers. Oh, Gillis. She was right. I ain't fit to associate with human beings. Yeah. I ain't fit to associate with human beings, neither. We just have to go around with each other. I'm ashamed. A body without a soul. What's the use living when you lose your self-respect? Oh, well, wait a minute, Gillis. We got a chance to get it back. How? We're going to give that conniving Stevenson who tricked us into working for nothing a bill. That's it, Riley. Then we'll be men again. Yeah. I'll make it out right now. Yeah, here's, here's yeah, a pencil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To Mr. Carl Stevenson, Esquire. Uh, abbreviate that. Yeah, I did, ESS. Oh. <laughs> For professional services rendered Ipso facto Fixing one roof uh, What's the ipso facto for? I don't know I've seen it on a bill somewhere <laughs> Well, leave it in It looks good Fixing one roof Four hours At three dollars per hour Total uh, $12. Double time for working Sundays Yeah, it makes $24 uh, Three Cokes consumed on the job but we took him out of his ice pot. Well, he don't know that. <laughs> that makes a grand total of uh, $24.15. $24.15. Boy, I'm beginning to feel like a man again. Uh, Riley, yeah. you think maybe when the boss gets this bill, he'll blow his top and maybe fire us? Huh, Riley? Well, let him. I don't care. I ain't afraid. And to prove it, give me that pencil, Gillis. I'll sign it. G-I-L-L-I-S. There. <laughs> You're right. And to prove I ain't afraid neither, I'm signing it, Riley. Give me that pencil. R-I-L-E-Y. Well, here we are, Riley. You got the bill? Yeah, boy, I can hardly wait to see the look on Stevenson's face when we slap it on him. <laughs> well, let's go in, right? No, nah, wait, wait a minute, Gillis. Before we go in, you know, anything might happen in there with the boss, but I want you to know that no matter what happens, I'm sticking with you to the end, pal. And I'm sticking with you, pal. And this ain't just talk, Gillis. Actions speak louder than words. So, here, pal... Hey, this is a ticket for the USC Notre Dame game tomorrow. Well, I have two. I got him from Bebs' boyfriend. He's a sub on USC. Here, 
Take it. It's yours, pal. Right. You're doing this for me? Pardon me. Why, they're all sold out. You can get 15 bucks for this ticket. Yeah, I know. But with me, friendship comes first. So I'm letting you have it for 14. <laughs> Thanks, pal. And if I forget to give you the dough, remind me on payday. Oh, now, Gillis. And keep on reminding me every payday. <laughs> well, let's go in and face the enemy. Yeah, together, like buddies. Yeah, and we ain't gonna crack on a fire. No, sir, we ain't retreating an inch. Well, this is it, buddy. Zero hour. Yeah, we're going over the top. I'm with you, soldier. Forward, march! Gillis, Riley, hey, wait, you two. Where are you going? When did you two get drafted? <laughs> Millie, we're here on business. Yeah, serious business. We want to see the boss. We'll come back some other time. He's in a bad mood. He's going over the cost sheet. Well, we're in a worse mood. Tell him we're here. But, Riley, I'm warning you. He... Yes, Mr. Stevenson? Millie, what's this $8 item here against transportation? Oh, that was Albertson in the machine shop. He went down to Santa Monica to pick up that box of special rivets, and he took a taxi. Oh, he did, did he? Taxis. What am I running here, a resort? Since when did the buses stop running? Everybody around here thinks I made the money. Fire Albertson. You heard, Gillis? I heard. Any other guys hearing that would turn yellow. Yeah, but not you, right? You neither, Gillis. Yeah. Don't think for one minute that I still ain't got the guts to walk in it. I believe you, and don't think I ain't got the guts to do it. I believe you, too. Well, now that we've proved it, we can tear up this bill. <laughs> Well, after all, it's not the money. It, it's the principle. Yeah, let's get out of here, pal. Millie. Yes, Mr. Stevenson. I don't see a voucher here for those football tickets. I couldn't get them, Mr. Stevenson. All sold out. Shall I try the speculators? No, no, I'm not spending $40 for two football tickets. Keep on trying the stadium. He expects miracles. You boys want to be made foreman? Get him a couple of tickets for tomorrow's game. Foreman? Is that a fact? Foreman? Is that a fact? Well, he'd be very grateful. Are you coming, Riley? Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm coming. Uh, two tickets, huh? Not one. Uh, yeah, 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 come on, Gillis. Huh? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 I'm coming. Two tickets, huh? Not one. Nah, uh, see you later, Millie. C come on, Gillis. Uh, Gillis. Uh, Riley, no. No! You double-crosser. I know what's going on in your mind. You, Welsher, I know what you're up to. You want me to sell you my ticket. You want me to sell you my ticket? Well, don't you worry. I'll get it. You'll have to fight for it. Oh, so it's a fight you want. Okay with me. No Riley ain't afraid of no Gillis. And no Gillis is afraid of no Riley. Choose your weapon. I will. My son, Junior, against your son, Egbert. <laughs> <laughs> Ten rounds to a decision. It's a deal. When? My backyard. When? Right now. And when my junior knocks out your Egbert, that'll prove the kind of a yellow rat you are. Tony, what are you doing home so early? Riley, what's the matter? What's up, Pa? You look so wild. You bet I'm wild. I'm raging. What happened? A man can only take so much, and that's all. 
What are you raving about? That no good double-crossing Gillis. Oh, I thought he was your best friend. Yeah, so did I. We've been pals for a lifetime, like two fountain pens. And then he squirts ink in my eye. But this time he went too far. This time he's gonna get his. Now wait, Riley. I won't have you fighting Gillis. Now you stay out of this, Peg. Sometimes if a man wants to save his self-respect, there's got to be a fight. You'll get hurt. No, I won't. Oh, how do you know? Cause Junior's doing the fighting. <laughs> Who, me? I'm gonna fight Mr. Gillis? No, Egbert. Riley, have you gone out of your mind? But, but, but I like Egbert. He's my best friend. I don't want to fight him. My own son, Yella. Full <laughs> <laughs> of old... This is the most ridiculous... You have a quarrel with Gillis and you want Junior to fight... Why don't you and Gillis fight? Peg, fight? Me? With my weak arches? <laughs> and poor Gillis with his low blood pressure? We got our families to think of. So you get Junior and Egbert to fight. Well, why stop there? Why not have me and Mrs. Gillis slug it out? Would you? <laughs> I, I, I mean, listen, Peg, I, I got no time You listen to... to me. This is the craziest thing I ever heard of. And if you think I'm going to let you well, do... Peg, you don't understand. I got to get that football ticket. Oh, what ticket? The one I gave Gillis. He won't sell it back to me, but if I get it, then I'll have two to give to the boss, and then I'm a cinch to be made foreman. Now, look here, Riley. You forget all this nonsense about fighting, and let's have a little peace and quiet around oh, here. Oh, okay, Peg, okay, I'll forget it. Must be some way to get that ticket. Oh, will you stop? If I could only trick him into it some way. I, I... Riley... Is it worth it? How can I get him to, to... I got it. Peg, I got it. What a brainwave. Riley, I won't stand for another one of Wait, your brainwaves. you brain don't even know what it is yet. This is a great idea, will you hear? I phone up Gillis, see? Yeah, and then what, Pop? I pretend that I'm Stevenson. Stevenson? Well, sure, I imitate his voice. Oh, you can't do that. Well, sure I can. Listen. Hello, Stevenson speaking. How's that sound? Sounds like you have a cold. <laughs> Oh, go on. It's a perfect imitation. Gillis will fall for it like a ton of bricks. I'll tell him I heard he has an extra ticket, and I'd appreciate it if he'd let Riley have it. He won't dare say no, and then I got him. It'll never work, Riley. Oh, no? Watch. <laughs> Nobody but me could think of a stunt like this. Answer, honey bee. I'm busy thinking. How can I get that ticket from Riley? Hello? Hello? I'd like to speak to Gillis, please. Just a minute. It's for you, Jimsy. Who is it? It's Riley. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like he has a cold. Riley, what does he want? I don't want to talk to him. Hang up. No, wait. I just got an idea. What an idea! What an idea! What, Jimsy? Hello? Hello? Hold the wire. I'll talk to him, all right, but I'm going to pretend I'm Stevenson. I'll say I'm visiting Gillis, and I'll order him to give his ticket to Gillis. You get it? Oh, Jimsy, that's clever. <laughs> Watch me operate. Um, hello? Hello? Who is this? This here is Stevenson. Who is this? This is Stevenson, too. <laughs> 
I said this is Stevenson. Yes, this is Stevenson. I'm over here at Gillis's. Ridiculous. How can I be at the Gillis's when I'm over here at the Riley's? Look, this is Stevenson. Oh, this is Stevenson. Huh? You phony. You fake. I'll never trust you again as long as I live. Likewise, I'm sure. Can't depend on nobody. In the end, your friends always let you down. Well, I learned my lesson. This is the last time anybody's going to let me down. Would you care to bet? <laughs> oh, it's you. Yes, it is I indeed. Digby O'Dell, the friendly undertaker. <laughs> Greetings, Riley. You're looking fine. Very natural. Well, I don't feel so good, Digger. I don't say this to everybody, but see your doctor. Uh, I, I don't need a doctor. I'm, I'm all mixed up in my mind. I, I think maybe I ought to see one of them psychiatrists. Oh, nonsense. Too many people are running to psychiatrists these days. In our profession, we have a saying. The mind will take care of itself. Just look after the body. <laughs> Life is funny, Digger. The older you get, the more troubles you have. We don't have fun like we did when we were kids. Ah, the carefree days of our youth. Yeah, those were the days. Remember when we went on that picnic with those girls and we took your father's business vehicle without his knowing? Yes, <laughs> and we didn't know that old man McGillicuddy was still in the back. No. <laughs> it was the first time in 40 years that old man McGillicuddy went out with girls. <laughs> Oh, those were the days. Yeah. Now, nothing but trouble. Maybe I can help? No. Not unless you can let me have a ticket for tomorrow's game. If I had one, I could get promoted to foreman, I think. But they're all sold out. It's hopeless. Oh, come, come, Riley. Never say die, if you'll pardon the expression. <laughs> Go to a speculator. Yeah, but they want 20 bucks. It's worth it to become foreman. Well, yeah, sure, but I ain't got the dough. I'll lend it to you. Yeah. But I don't know when I can pay you back. Will you carry me? Glad to. <laughs> this isn't the first time I've carried you, and it won't be the last. Oh, well, thanks, Digger, but you're sure you can spare it? Well, of course. I've had a very good year. I've been piling up customers. <laughs> yeah, gee, you've been in business a long time. I bet if all your customers were laid end to end... They are. <laughs> well, cheerio. I'd better be shoveling off. Yes, Mr. Stevenson. Ah, any uh, luck with the football tickets, Millie? No, sir, but the speculators have... No, 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 I will not pay speculator prices. It's highway robbery. Just forget about it, Millie. Uh, I'm going home now. Yes, sir. Hey, Millie, Millie, is the boss in? I gotta see the boss. What about? Oh, you'll never guess. Millie, you're looking at a new foreman. What? Look, look, look. Two tickets for the boss for the big game. Oh, I <laughs> think he just left. I'll catch him at the elevator. Good, good. Hey, watch the switchboard for me, will yeah, you? Yeah, leave it to me. I'll sit right here and take all the messages. 
<laughs> Wait till that jump Riley finds out I put one over on him. Cost me 20 bucks, but it's worth it. <laughs> Millie, I, I gotta see the boss quick. I got him two tickets. It cost me 20 bucks, but it's worth it. To... Millie, Millie, didn't you hear me, Millie? Millie, you look different. You need a shave. You, you... <laughs> Gillis! You weasel! You double-crusher! Hello, boys. Boss, I got two tickets. Look, Here's the, the tickets, boss. I line, you the best seats. There you are. You can take it, boss. Another boy. Two, you two. mean to tell me that you fellas each got me two tickets for the game? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> This beats everything. I wanted those tickets to give you, to show my appreciation for fixing my roof. <laughs> and here you bring me four tickets. Well, I'll tell you what. Here, one for you, Riley. Huh? One for you, Gillis, and two for me. Naturally, I won't insult you by offering to pay for my two, but I insist on paying for your two. Yeah, but... but no, boss, no, no, no. I insist on paying whatever they cost you. How much? Well, boss, if you... Oh, here, up, here's the, the, the price the, right on the ticket. Huh? Three sixty apiece. What? <laughs> Likewise. There you are, Riley. Three sixty. There you are, Gillis. Enjoy the game with my compliments. Well... Have a nice weekend, boys, but don't be late for work on Monday. I just hired a new foreman. He's a tough baby. <laughs> well, have fun. What a revolting development this is. You know, there, there, there's something wrong, Gillis. Now, let, let, let's try and figure this out once more. Figure we... it out. Figure it out. Riley, for Pete's sake, that's all you've been doing since we got into this here stadium. Yeah, now, look, uh, first, I, uh, I got two free tickets from my daughter. You got two free tickets, and you gave me one. Yeah, and they cost me nothing. But you owe me 14 for one. Yeah, but the boss uh, gave me 360 for that one. Oh, no, 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 no. He gave you 360 for the one that cost you 20. Uh... That leaves sixteen forty. Yeah, but don't you could... see? You paid $20 for that one ticket, too. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I got three sixty back, so that means 20 minus 360 plus sixteen forty minus... Uh, no, plus... No, uh, no, no, minus... Uh, yeah, yeah, plus... Riley, uh, will you stop already? We'll figure out after the game. It's costing us a fortune to sit here, so at least let's watch. <laughs> Look, I think they're starting the game. Well, well... Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Let's watch. What's that, Gillis? What's happening? And there goes the final gun, and the game is over. It's a losing fight. Procter and Gamble invite you to join us again next week to hear The Life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. The script is by Reuben Ship, Alan Lipscott, and Dick Powell. Mrs. Riley is Paula Winslow. Digger O'Dell is John Brown. The Life of Riley is produced by Irving Brecker. And this is Ken Niles reminding you to listen again next Friday when Procter & Gamble brings you a full hour of entertainment. 
First, Red Skelton, and then The Life of Riley. Good night. That was The Life of Riley, and the name of that episode was Impressing the Boss. That was first heard on NBC back in December of 1948. You know, I do remember hearing Life of Riley on the radio because I remember my dad used to get the biggest kick out of Digger O'Dell. And I can remember Digger O'Dell's voice, uh, that hollow, uh, almost haunted-like voice. Hmm, hadn't thought about that for quite a while. The radio show ran from 1944 to 1951. There was also a movie starring William Bendix as Life of Riley in 1949. And interestingly enough, they did an adaptation for Lux Radio Theater in 1950 on that. Maybe we'll have to dig that up. If, if it's a good sound recording, maybe we'll, we'll play it. They wanted to, NBC wanted to do a TV show, and they introduced the show in 1949. But William Bendix was having some contract problems with RKO, Something about him having made the movie that same year, and so he couldn't appear in the television show. So who played Riley? You might remember it was Jackie Gleason, and Rosemary DeCamp played Peg. That one ran for 26 weeks, but then there was some kind of problem with with the producer and the sponsor, which was Pabst Blue Ribbon. And so the show was not picked up again. It didn't come back until 1953 on television, and it was on television from 1953 to 1958. And of course, those are the shows that we remember. Those shows featured William Bendix, Marjorie Reynolds played Peg, Tom Andrea played Gillis, um, Gloria Blondell played Honeybee, and like I said, Lugene Sanders played Babs, and Wesley Morgan played Junior. Interestingly enough, Digger O'Dell, I do not believe, was ever on the television show. Because I remember watching that weekly, and I do not remember ever seeing Digger O'Dell. Such a popular feature of the radio show, and yet uh, he did not make the transition. He was on the TV show that featured Jackie Gleason. But in the later incarnation, he was not uh, not part of the show. <laughs>
All right, for the second time tonight, we are going to travel back to Dodge City, Kansas in the 1800s, 1870s. And uh, we have an episode of Gunsmoke tonight that was originally broadcast January 30th, 1954. And it's entitled Gunsmuggler. Now, on Winchester 73, we heard that Wyatt Earp was the marshal in uh, Dodge City, Kansas in 1876. And actually, he was, in real life, he was the assistant city marshal from 1876 to probably around 1878 when he left for Texas to go hunt for Doc Holliday. Well then, when was Matt Dillon the marshal in Dodge City, Kansas? Well, I know this is going to come as a surprise to y'all, but there weren't really no Matt Dillon in real life. He's a fictional character, but he's one that we dearly love. So let's follow along as we walk shoulder to shoulder. Actually, they're not in Dodge City this week. They're out on the prairie looking for a gun smuggler. So let's follow along from January the 30th, 1954, on this episode of Gunsmoke. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Take a look at these. Huh? Which do you think's prettiest? Oh. I don't wear galluses, Kitty. Not like those, anyway. Oh, Matt. Mr. Jonas ordered them all the way from New York. We gotta encourage him. The store'll never stock anything but beans and ammunition. <laughs> well, I can use beans and ammunition, but I won't wear those. They're lovely. You'd look nice in a pair of bright suspenders. Galluses. All right, Dallas's. You like the purple ones? No. But they're not as bad as those pink and orange ones. But what is that they got stitched on them, anyway? Chickens? <laughs> Don't be silly. They're parrots. Real fancy, Matt. Yeah, they sure are. I'll buy them for you. No, you won't. Please, Matt. Give them to Chester if you want. They're more his style than mine. All right, I will. You refuse to be elegant. I refuse. And if Chester has any sense, he will, too. Or in those people who think he's a whiskey drummer or a barber. <laughs> that beat's looking like a buffalo hunter. <laughs> Mr. Dillon? Oh, you looking for me, Chester? Uh, yes, sir. Hello, Miss Kitty. Good morning, Chester. Uh, Mr. Dillon, there's a sergeant from Fort Dodge over at the office. Major Evans sent him in. Oh, what does he want? He says the Major... W- Gracious alive, look at them galluses. My... What does he want, Chester? Eh... He says the major wants to talk to you. Oh. Right away, he said. Chicken. 
Well, where is the major? Hmm? The major. Oh, yeah, out at Fort Dodge again. Oh, Chester, you tell the sergeant I might ride out sometime tomorrow if I'm not busy. Yes, sir. Well, it's only five miles, Matt. Might be important. I know, but uh, I've dealt with Major Evans before, Kitty. Was there any mail this noon, Chester? No, sir, not a thing. For three days now. Yeah, that much less trouble. Uh-oh. Here comes some trouble crossing the plaza. No, what? Uh, Major Evans. Huh? And I guess he really does want to see me. Sure looks like it. Good afternoon, Marshal. Well, how are you, Major? Uh, don't you sit down? No, thanks. Hello, Major Evans. Hello, uh, Chester. Uh, Marshal, I sent Sergeant Bowers after you this morning. Well, I was figuring on maybe uh, riding out tomorrow, Major. I prefer not to wait another day. Oh, what's the trouble? Pawnees are raiding again. I hadn't heard that. Well, it's an army matter. Except for one thing. Oh? They've been supplied with rifles, Marshal, and I'm convinced those rifles come out of Dodge. Why? Well, it's the closest source of supply, and I want you to stop it. I'll gladly stop it, Major. If it's true, we can find that out easily enough. How? We'll go over and see Mr. Jonas right across the street there. I'll be back shortly, Chester. Okay, sir. Come along. Who is this Jonas, Marshal? Uh, He's the only man in Dodge who sells rifles. I see. Anybody who's been buying lately, he'll know. Can he be trusted? I trust him. Well... Somebody's been buying rifles here, and they might have paid this Jonas to keep it quiet. He isn't that kind of a man, Major. Hmm. Well, I hope you're going to buy something this time, Marshal. Well, I'm afraid not, Mr. Jonas, but I want you to meet Major Evans from uh, Fort Dodge. How do you do, Major? Mr. Jonas. What can I do for you? We'd like to know if anybody's been... Buying rifles in quantity lately. Indian trouble, huh? Yeah, I told you, Marshal. Told him what? That you've been selling rifles to some gun smuggler. No, Major, I don't believe I have. Hmm. How do you know whether you have or not? Anybody can walk in here. Sure they can. But if I didn't know them, and they bought up a wagon load of rifles on a sudden, I'd tell the Marshal about it right off. The only men who've ever been in here are buffalo hunters, and they only buy two or three rifles at the most. Well, Major, those rifles are coming from Dodge somehow. I know they are. And I'll stop it if I have to search every wagon that leaves here. You mean you'd use soldiers for that? Yes. There'd be trouble. Sooner or later, they'd try to stop some hardhead who'd start shooting. Soldiers are trained to shoot back, Marshal. I don't want innocent men shot down for no reason at all, The Major. Pawnees raided a ranch down on Crooked Creek just this morning, Marshal, 50 miles from here. But they did. But how come nobody's heard about it? The man and the woman can't be moved. And their two boys were killed at once. The cavalry patrol found them this morning and sent a messenger to the fort. Well, why didn't you tell me this before? We've got to get Doc down there. I'm on my way there myself. We'll give you an escort, Marshal. Good. If you can keep up with us. We rode hard, but it was nearly dawn when we reached what was left of the ranch on Crooked Creek. It had been burned, of course, and 
and the stock destroyed. Half a dozen men of the cavalry patrol were standing on all-night watch while their Indian scout Tobiel slept peacefully in his blanket. The lieutenant in charge informed us that the man and the woman had both died soon after he dispatched his messenger to Fort Dodge. But Doc wanted to have a look at him anyway, so... Major Evans and Chester and I went to the fire, had a cup of coffee. I don't know anything I'd rather have right now than this coffee. You ought to join the Army, Chester. The Army doesn't usually serve coffee all night, and I don't approve of this fire. Major, hmm? look at Tobiel over there. If he thought the Pawnees would be back, he'd have put the fire out himself. Mm, sound asleep. I suppose you're right, Marshal. After all, he's an Indian himself. He's a good scout, too. Yeah, I've known Tobiel a long time. Yeah, he's rather undisciplined, but valuable. I bet he is. On both counts. Ah, oh, Doc. Well? Yeah. All the usual things, Matt. And a few new ones. Yeah. Uh, Chester, hmm? uh, get Doc some coffee, will you? Oh, sure. Scalped, I suppose. For a start, Major. Worse than that? How that man lived as long as he did, uh, I don't know. Mm, savage devils. But I think the woman was unconscious during most of it. The man must have tried to kill her and only grazed her head. How do you know, Doc? Here's your coffee, Doc. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Chester. The groove across her head was too narrow for a rifle bullet, Matt. And I don't think those Pawnees had pistols. No, no. But they certainly had rifles. Oh, that reminds me again. I dug a bullet out of the man, Matt. Here it is. Huh. Huh. Uh, that's funny. What is? Now, this is a forty-four caliber. You don't see many of them anymore. Here. Take a look, Major. Mm. Yeah. Yes, I believe you're right. What do you make of it, Marshal? Major, I think I can find this gun smuggler. You do? Yeah. Uh, I'd like to borrow Tobiel over there to help me. My scout? What for? Well, those Pawnees have a day's start on us, but with Tobiel's help, I think I can catch up with them. Oh, no, no. no I'm afraid that'd bring out the whole tribe. No, I'll run this war party down myself as soon as their supply of arms is cut off. Well, there'll just be Tobiel and Chester and me, Major. It's the gun smuggler I'm after, not the Indians. And I'll go with you. Now, they'd spot a troop of cavalry. But three of us can get through the country without their knowing it, if we have any luck at all. Uh, just what do you have in mind, Marshal? I'll tell you later, if it works. Well, I guess I can't stop you. No, you can't. And I'll go without Tobiel if I have to. Yes, you would. All right, Marshal, take him. Thanks. I just hope you know what you're doing. 
Major, does a man ever know? For sure. Pony ride slow. They don't think we follow. Well, I just hope they don't find out to be you. <laughs> Too bad they find out. Maybe 30 pony war party. They kill us very easy. Now we better breathe our horses a little. Let's stop here. Right now, I wish I was an army. I'd feel a whole lot safer. Marshal, why we, why we follow Pawnee? Yeah, right? I'd feel better if I knew myself. Maybe. Well, I'll tell you. First of all, that was a forty-four caliber bullet Doc found in that rancher's body. Only uh, Henry rifle shoot forty-four. Huh? Yeah, that's right, Tobiel. My. I ain't seen a forty-four Henry since I can remember. No. Most of the buffalo hunters around here use a forty-five. Or if they use a Sharps or a Remington, that's a fifty. You just don't see many forty-fours. Army, they have all Springfield forty-five. Yeah, but somebody's cornered a bunch of them Henry forty-fours and sold them to the Pawnees. Is that what you figure? Yeah, that's right, Chester. But whoever it is didn't think far enough ahead. What do you mean? Well, he sold his rifles, all right, but his customers are going to have to come back to him for ammunition. They can't get it anyplace else. And the market's all his. Sounds to me like he's created a pretty good business. Yeah, too good. Now those Pawnees will be looking for him. And him alone. Marshal Wright. Most Indians only need rifle. Steal ammunition all over. One place, other place. Hmm. Pawnee... No fine 44 bullet, no place. So they'll go back to this man. They have to find him. And if we can keep on their trail long enough, we'll just naturally find him too. Pretty poor knee on Warpath. All armed with good rifle. Maybe find us before we find them. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it could work both ways. Well, nobody's going to find anybody if we sit here. All right, let's get moving. The Pawnee Trail led south in a straight line, as though they knew exactly where they were going. We followed them for two days. And on the third, Tobiel informed us that the war party had been joined by another one of about equal strength. A band of Indians this large would protect itself with a ring of Scots, so we were forced to drop back and follow them more slowly. And then they turned to the east. And on the fourth day, we began to wonder if we were wrong about their trying to find the gun smuggler. Maybe they were just going to lose themselves in Oklahoma Territory. Big country, Marshal. Pony maybe blow apart like sand. You mean they might separate and wait a while before 
raiding back into Kansas? Sometime do. Mr. Dillon, look. Yonder comes a rider. What? White man. Cowboy. Yeah. He's riding pretty hard. Ride like man afraid. Yeah, let's wait here for him. Smart. We'll turn around and ride. This country's alive with Pawnee. You see any? If I had, I probably wouldn't be here to tell you about it. But I've seen plenty of sign, and a worse kind of sign, too. Oh, what do you mean? They had a powwow of some sort about 20 miles back of me, mister. They left a white man there. Oh? Was he dead? Just about. Did you talk to him? I talked to him, but he didn't have much to say. Not with no tongue. You left him there? That's not all I've done to him. But he could still use one hand. I give him my six-gun. Ah, I see. It's a funny thing, though. There was wagon tracks leading into that camp and leading out of it, too. Can't figure it no how. Only Wapali no keep wagon, Marshal. Marshal? You're chasing them engines? No. It's the wagon we're after. And whoever's driving it. Well, it's your business, Marshal. But I'm riding all the way to Dodge, and I'm going to stay there. Maybe we'll see you when we get back. I'll be there. But I wouldn't gamble on seeing you. So long. So long. Well, what do you make of it, Mr. Dillon? Well, as Tobiel says, the Pawnees wouldn't fool around with a wagon. There must have been more than one white man. We find wagon, I think, maybe... Five, six hour. Yeah, but it'll be dark soon. Oh, Beal track wagon and dark. We're gonna have to move fast to be out of this country by daylight. We move. That's the wagon. But I only see one man there, Tobiel. Mm. One man. <laughs> Big fire. Full white man fire. Well, we've crawled close enough. Let's stop here. Yeah. We gonna rush him, Mr. Dillon? If he starts shooting, Chester, we'll have the Pawnees down on us. Wait for sleep. Tobiel, crawl up, cut throat. No. No, Tobiel. I gotta be sure this is the right man. Yeah, but how are you gonna find out? Well, bluff him. Look, Chester, mm -hmm. you and Tobiel stay here. I'm going to walk up to that fire. You're taking an awful chance, Mr. Dillon. 
play on me. Thanks. That's where you are. Get your hands up. No. I'll kill you. And my friends out there will kill you. What friend? Put your gun away, mister. You haven't got a chance. Who are you, anyway? What are you doing here? Put up your gun. Now, they might get nervous. How do I know anybody's out All right, there? then shoot, and you'll find out. Well, go ahead. You must be crazy. All right, I'll put it up. There. All right, now tell me about you and the Pawnees. Pawnees? What are you talking about? I want to know where you got those rifles you sold them. Those Henry 44s. You're a lawman. Don't try it, mister. You can't outdraw me. Maybe not. But I can sure bring them Indians down on you fast. That you won't live to see them. I won't hang either. You won't hang. You'll get about ten years in prison. It's not enough, but that's all you'll get. What are you, a sheriff or something? A U.S. Marshal. No, Marshal, all I gotta do is shoot. I'll make you shoot. And them Pawnees will take care of the rest. So, I make you a deal. I don't make deals, mister. Well, you have to make this one if you want to live. Because I've decided I'd just as soon die right here and spend ten years in prison. Well, what about your partner? A partner? <laughs> you know everything, don't you? Uh, just about. Uh, you can't touch him. He's with the Pawnees. They keep him as... Sort of a hostage till I get back from Tascosa with more ammunition. You buy the rifles in Tascosa? Sure. But them Indians is kind of mad about not finding 44 caliber bullets real handy. <laughs> we foxed them good. You're not very bright, mister. How do you suppose I know about your partner? How did you? We found him where you met the Pawnees. He was dead. Dead? Yeah. You want me to tell you about it? What's that to tell? They got mad and killed him. He died slow, mister. Real slow. They tortured him. That's right. He wasn't very pretty when we found him. I don't want to hear about it. He was your partner. Might happen to you, I too. said I don't want to hear about well, it. Well, I'm going to tell you about it anyway. First of all, they No, don't it. tell me. I can't stand that. I hate that. All right, then listen to me. If you start shooting, I'm not going to kill you, and neither of my friends. But the Pawnees will come, and they'll think you tried to fool them. They'll do worse things to you than they did to him. I couldn't go through that. I've seen what they do. All right, give me your gun. Come on. Take it. I don't care what happens as long as they don't get me. All right. Now go get your horse, mister. And hurry. None of us will get out of here. Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were John Daner, Lawrence Dobkin, Harry Bartell, Barney Phillips, and Jack Edward. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. 
Gunsmoke has been selected by the Armed Forces Radio Service to be heard by our troops overseas. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. From January the 30th, 1954, as originally heard on CBS, that was Gunsmuggler on Gunsmoke. Folks, that's going to kick things in the head for another week. We'll be back in two weeks. We'll do it all again. And Chester, my hat is off to you. You did an outstanding job of selecting shows this week. And you're welcome. You're very welcome. And I think everybody will agree. So maybe we'll let you do it again. All right, I'm going to go out with the Everly Brothers tonight. This is a song I wanted to play. I chose it to play after Winchester 73 because it... Did you know that Wyatt Earp was really an itinerant gambler? And that's kind of how he made his living. He wasn't Marshall very much. In fact, out in Tombstone, he wasn't a Marshall at all. It was his brother. But this song, it's an old folk song, traditional song. But they did it, and I love it. And we probably won't have time to play the whole thing as we go out tonight. So maybe I'll play it for you next week. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me. I am a roving gambler. I've gambled down in town. Wherever I meet with a deck of cards, I lay my money down. Lay my money down. Many more weeks than three Till I fell in love with a pretty little girl She fell in love with me Fell in love with me Fell in love with me She took me in her parlor She cooled me with a fan She whispered low in her mama's ear Love that gambling man Love that gambling man Love that gambling man Daughter, oh dear daughter How can you treat me so To leave your dear old mother And with a gambler go With a gambler go I'll gamble down in Spain I'm going down in Georgia To gamble my last game Gamble my last game Gamble my last game 
know I love you well, but the love I have for the gambling man, no human tongue can tell. No human tongue can tell. No human tongue can tell. I hear that train a coming, coming round the curve, a whistling and a blowing, straining every nerve, straining every nerve, straining every nerve. Mother, oh dear mother, I'll tell you if I can. If you ever see me a coming back, I'll be with the gambling man. I'll be with the gambling man. Be with the gambling man. I am a roving gambler. I've gambled down in town. Wherever I meet with a deck of cards, I lay my money. 